Welcome to Republic of Camberville. This episode, titled Massacre, was written and produced by me, Danielle Monroe. It features Elise Roth as Hannah and is narrated by Tamar Avishai. Please enjoy. It was a night like any other. Two doses for dinner, then salsa at Fuego y Candela. Men's arms pushing, pulling, her body acquiescing, turning, shining, grinding. Another pill, then over to Candibar for something less heteronormative. Reggaeton, her mind numb, her soul buoyed to heaven. She searched the floor for a girl with forgiving eyes, but after two months of coming here, she had a reputation. Most women knew to keep their distance. The next morning was like any other. Alarms slithering inside her, the room reeking of sweat, stomach screaming, acidic sludge rolling in her arteries, dissolving her from within, sucking out the meat clinging to her veins until her wrists were nothing more than dollhouse ladders wrapped up in paper. Nico was late. She did not rush. Something her mother taught her. Pretend you mean your mistakes. Hannah was waiting. Hannah was always waiting. This was their routine. Nico late. Hannah worried. She perched on the corner of Nico's cubicle, twisting the thin gold rings she wore around each finger. Hannah's red hair was pulled tight in a bun, like usual. A remnant of the life Hannah thought she'd have, on the stage, before the knee problems and unsuccessful surgeries. Like Nico, Hannah had settled for this entry-level job at Ashmere Development, LLC, a real estate development firm. It was simple and a bit dull. The perfect place to lick wounds and figure out some better way. Uh, You have toothpaste smeared on your cheek? Shit. Thanks. They're all in the conference room right now. Who is? And then Nico noticed Hannah wasn't the only one hovering. The rest of their co-workers, 20-something entry-level children in suits, were also clinging to cubicles and failing to appear casual. What's going on? Jesus, you haven't checked your email? (sighs) Okay, the short version. The Somerville Ave Project. The old parking lot. Yes, a field before that. Anyway, they were excavating for the garage and found human remains. Remains? Like, like bones? Yeah, like from humans. Like from native humans. Oh, Indians? I think we're supposed to say Native American. How do they know? I don't know. They found some other stuff with the bones, but listen, they're in the conference room right now. Who is? Some dudes from the tribe that they think the remains came from. They were here before the office was even open. The door handle clicked. The sound ricocheted down the halls. The office fell silent. The hum of the HVAC, deafening. Six men filed down the hallway. There was Charles, Nico's boss, A tired-looking man in his late fifties, biding his time, it seemed, for retirement so that he could dedicate more time to fly fishing. And Leonard Ashmere, whose name was on the door and who had a smile as bright and jarring as neon in the window of an all-night diner. Two other men wearing indistinguishable blue suits and red ties stood behind them. The last two men, Nico guessed, were from the tribe. A tall man in a black suit and another man, younger, whose thin cheeks betrayed his grinding teeth. They walked bathed in attention, 
Nico and the rest of her co-workers watch them like sunflowers following the light. You're bleeding. What? Oh, fuck. Nico looked down to see blood pooling over the side of her shoe. I must have cut it on my dance shoes. But Hannah was no longer there. She returned with a wet wipe, Neosporin, and a Band-Aid. I must have had <sighs> Don't tell me about your night if it's just going to make me upset. Nico took her time dabbing her foot with the wipe. She raised her head just enough to see that Hannah was still there, fiddling one of her rings up and down her index finger. All right. Nico's mother was dead. One day they were shopping for headscarves, their hope and laughter loud, defiant. And then five months later, Nico carried her mother's body, barely anything more than a skeleton, down their building's stairs and placed it on the ambulance gurney. She watched the EMS workers pack her mother away in silent efficiency and drive off without even their sirens to break up the quiet. Nico hadn't told any of this to Hannah. She hadn't told her about the nights she'd crept into her mother's room to stare at her arms, to see if she could find whatever the actual thing devouring her mother from the inside out, as if she could watch it work in real time. Surely, it was all happening too fast to be truly real. But this was six months ago. The world, it seemed, had moved on. You need to at least try to move on. She said this during what Nico called Hannah's compassionate friend phase. Despite the countless broken plans, the unreturned calls, and the loaned money never returned, Hannah had not given up on Nico. Instead, she'd implanted the Save Nico initiative, a collection of schemes to rescue Nico from herself. I'm here for you, whatever you need. Led to, I want to take this time to read you this statement about how your drug addiction has affected me. Which became, If you don't stop, I will tell Charles. That led back to, Here's a list of therapists who take our insurance. And then, You think your mom would be proud of what you've become? And, I'm writing HR. To, I've already prepaid the copay. To, Please. And, You fucking junkie. Nico knew that compassion, even Hannah's, wouldn't last forever. I can't watch you kill yourself. You're wasting away. Nico, as always, said nothing. How could she explain that her body could go further, much further, if it came to it? Lately, Hannah was trying to commit to accepting friend, or perhaps it was avoiding friend, to love Nico around the drugs, the sex, the cutting, only twice. But Hannah was failing at this too. And with no other tactics to try, Nico could feel Hannah finally begin to pull away. Everyone, a minute please. Leonard Ashmere held the door and his smile as the office filed into the same conference room the six other men had been in moments before. Large photo boards of the luxury condo project were set up on easels in the front of the room. The site was going to be turned into 27 luxury one- and two-bedroom condos with a parking garage underneath. Thanks for taking this time. I know we're all busy. I wanted to discuss head-on what's happening with this project. He launched into a speech they had all heard many times before. It played on the landing page of the company's website. The plot was this. Somerville and Cambridge were in the middle of a housing crisis. 
development was necessary to ease that crisis. In addition to building more homes for more families, every Ashmere development included affordable housing to combat the skyrocketing home prices. In truth, only a single one-bedroom apartment per development was labeled as affordable housing. And at 2000 a month, Nico didn't see how many families they were really helping. This mission we are all working for, to provide housing to local families, is vital to the prosperity of our communities. Yesterday, our excavation team discovered some remains at the site that we believe are human. We notified law enforcement immediately, and all work on the site has been suspended. There were a few other items found around the remains that led a member of the team to notify an archaeologist, who then contacted the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe of Massachusetts. The chairman of this tribe believes the remains could be associated with this organization. Out of respect, we are pausing work on the site, but so far, nothing has been conclusive. There's no real evidence the remains have anything to do with the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, and the site has never been registered with the tribe. We'll keep you all updated. For now, we've agreed with the tribe chairman to keep the situation in-house, which means no social media. We don't want to influence any investigation. But if all goes well, and I think it will, we'll be back up and running by the middle of next week. As always, I'm eternally grateful for the work you all do. He paused as he looked at Nico. His smile softened but did not fade. Nico felt a fiery blush bloom up her neck. She touched her nose as casually as she could and pulled it away. No blood. But he wasn't looking at her, she realized. He was looking next to her, at Hannah, who had her hand raised high in the air. Thank you all for your support, he said, moving his eyes away. A quiet pause, and then Charles began clapping, indicating the rest of them should as well. Leonard pressed his hands together and dipped out of the room. Hannah, a word? Hannah waited at the front while the room cleared out. Hannah held one hand in the other so as not to fidget, but Nico could see the subtle rocking of her pelvis, the shifting of her ribcage back and forth, Hannah's body engaged, at the ready. Nico. Charles curled his fingers around her arm as she passed by. I'd like to see you in my office in five. Sure. Nico quickly ducked into her cubicle and used her phone to study her face. She'd combed her hair that morning, but her skin was swollen. Ashy bags clung beneath her eyes. She checked her purse for makeup and found an old bronzer compact. She dotted the rust-colored powder onto her face. Charles stood by his office door. Hannah marched briefly between them toward her cubicle, with her shoulders hitched up to her ears. Nico. Yes, of course. His office had dull blue wallpaper, made to look like something different. Linen, wool, a photo of Charles holding a large fish, his face almost black except for the stark white of his forehead, where a hat had been. A money plant in the corner, the tips were browning due to neglect. Everything okay? Everything is fine. Okay. Nico, may I ask? Charles tapped his desk. What's your heritage? My heritage? Well, yes. Where are your parents from? Well, my father died when I was two. And my mother... She took a deep breath, but it was too late. She could feel the tears careening down her cheeks. My mother... (sighs) I'm sorry. Here. Charles handed her a box of tissues. She died a few months ago. I'm sorry. She'd been sick for a long time. 
cancer. It's hereditary, I guess. I should probably get checked, right? <laughs> it's okay. Take your time. Thanks. Sorry. Still kind of. Um, sorry, you asked about my race? If that's how you define it. Nico dabbed at her nose. It was times like this that reminded her she was swimming in a white corporate sea. My father was Dominican and my mother was Cuban, so I guess you could say I'm Latina or Hispanic, Caribbean, whatever. Okay. Thanks for sharing that with me. I just wanted to check in with you in case you had more Native American heritage. Ah, uh, yes. Of course, it wouldn't have been an issue if you had been. We just want to be sensitive to our employees' feelings. Check in with you. I understand. Great. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, okay. Nico stood hesitantly. Oh, one other thing. We're redoing our homepage and wanted to include testimonials from some of our employees. Would you be interested? Just a quick recording. We'd give you a script or you could write your own. Like a video? Yes. It'd be tomorrow and you could take the rest of the day off after the shoot as a thank you from us. Shouldn't be more than an hour? He was still clicking at his computer and he had not looked at her again. Suddenly, she was desperate to leave, as if an escape door was seconds away from closing forever. Sure. Great. We'll send you the details. And Nico? He glanced quickly at her once more. You might want to stop by the restroom before going back to your desk. Nico ducked inside the handicapped bathroom and locked the door. Her tears had cut through the bronzer, dragging the dark powder down her cheeks in two outlined streams. She looked like a drunk clown. She attacked the makeup with wet toilet paper until it pilled and left landslides of colored debris down her cheeks. She took off her blouse and used it to finish wiping her face. She dried off her shirt as best she could and tucked it deep into her pants. She checked her pockets. Maybe she'd left a pill or a bit of powder. Anything. Nothing. Fuck! Espresso might do the trick if she drank enough. Just something to make her not herself. Maybe she could run home during lunch. I should keep some at work, she thought, but that was a line she'd yet to cross. Miha, I need you. The last text from her mother. Nico deleted it months ago, but she couldn't shake it loose from her heart. Her mother's voice was suddenly caught in her ears. How much longer can you keep going? Another month? Another year? How is this going to end? Fuck. At her desk, a strobing chat box screamed at her. Before Nico could scroll through the long paragraphs, Hannah was standing over her. I'm going to explode. I haven't read yet. What happened? Not here, and not on chat either. They monitor it. Tanok for lunch? Actually, I was going to run home. I'll spot you, it's fine. You wouldn't believe the bullshit Charles fed me. It was almost 10 a.m., and she hadn't yet let Hannah down. Okay, fine. Nico didn't love her work, but she didn't hate it either. It was detailed enough to require focus from time to time, but meaningless enough that mistakes were not often mentioned. There was a peaceful rhythm to the permit applications, the email. It was easy to lose her heart to the numbing meditation of paper pushing. Hannah questioned the impact they were having. What good were they really doing? 
but Nico was fine with the unimportant work. As the day progressed toward lunch, however, Nico couldn't focus or unfocus. She was trapped somewhere between impotent and anxious. A pill, even half, would be enough. By lunch, she couldn't hide the shiver in her hands. Charles threatened me. They were barely two steps away from the office, and Hannah was walking fast. Nico breathed in the fresh air in a failed attempt to calm her chattering teeth. I had one question, and he doesn't even let me get it out. We'll be monitoring your accounts. Can you believe that? It's fucked up. Is that what he said? Yes. I thought they monitored all of our social. Yeah, I guess, but to single me out like that? Hannah told the same story over and over, telling slightly more inflated versions of the events each time. I should have recorded it. This whole cover-up is so fucked up. We find native remains and we're just going to build over them? You know that's what's going to happen. Why else would the Leonard Ashmere Legal Defense League be there? We're going to steamroll them. Is that what Charles said? Well, he can't say that. Ugh, fucking bullshit. They both ordered tortas and found a small table by the door. The food seemed to calm Hannah for a moment. Nico nibbled at hers. Are you okay? Stomach's just off a bit. Mm-hmm. So what did Charles talk to you about? Nothing, really. They're redoing some of the videos for the homepage, and he thought I'd be good in it. Hannah put her torta down. She took a drink of water. Nico held her breath. You would be good in it. <laughs> Fuck you. No, really. I mean it. You can be exploited for the color of your skin and be a talented corporate actress. Wow. Jealous? Don't deflect. If you're okay with them using your face Stop. to help them cover up the fact that they're raping Indian burial lands... Don't you mean Native American? Haha, <laughs> fuck you. Well, I'm doing it. Nico stood up. Don't make me a bitch for pointing out the obvious. Do it. I'm sure you'll be great at it. I just hope they bring a makeup artist along. Your white guilt is exhausting. I'm just saying. Healthy is probably a stretch, but with a lot of cover-up, you might just look human. Nico stormed out of the restaurant. At this point, she'd be late for her next meeting, but she had to go home. Wednesday night. Rainbow Salsa Social, a place mostly for lesbian couples to get out of the house for a night, try something new. Sometimes one or two confused housewives would come to dip their toes into the queer pond. Nico hoped so, anyway. The dose she took that afternoon left her jittery, Hannah had spent the rest of the day aggressively sighing in her cubicle. Barely an hour went by without a chat from her, but that afternoon even the drugs couldn't distract Nico from the silence. She should have felt the in-between of things, finding euphoria in the corners of her life. She should have felt like someone else. But instead, she puked up her lunch in the bathroom. Home wasn't that anymore. It was a collection of rooms where her mother made pasteles, where her mother laughed at Alex Trebek, where her mother died. Nico showered. She changed. She left. She drove to Winter Hill and parked on a dead-end street overlooking Somerville, Cambridge, and across the river to Brookline. Rainbow's beginner lesson would just be starting, so she had an hour to kill. The sun was low, and only an orange-pink haze kindled the sky. Maple trees dotted the road. Think about the trees, she told herself, as if she could control the tide of her thoughts. 
They were probably the same trees of the Middlesex Fells, the nature reserve a mile or so at her back. She could remember wandering off the hiking trails as a child, jumping down hills and weaving through trees. How it was the first time she felt the freedom of isolation. Her mother worried about snakes, but Nico knew there couldn't be danger in those woods. When she awoke, the glow of the sun had long ago expired. Street lamps illuminated the multifamilies, hemmed in by the same maples she dreamt about. Shit. She'd been asleep for three hours. The social was almost finished. By the time she made it there, it would be over. Her phone buzzed beside her. Seven texts from Hannah. More on the way. I'm sorry. I need your help with something. You know, it's been hard since your mom... Nico turned off her phone. She started to feel the panic she'd kept tucked underneath her shoulder blades flow out of hiding. A tidal wave of everything she was holding at bay. She started the car. Somewhere there was someone desperate enough to waste a night with her. But her heart said something new. She turned off the car and allowed herself to succumb again to sleep. The next morning, Nico arrived at work early. She waited by Hannah's desk with a muffin and a coffee. I'm sorry, she said before Hannah had a chance to take off her bag. I texted you. I was sleeping and I turned off my... Hannah's hug surprised her and some of the coffee spilled over her wrist and onto the floor. Immediately, Nico could feel her body repel. When Hannah released her, Nico saw she was crying. Oh, you were sleeping. That makes me so happy. I've been really worried about you. Sorry. Nico put the coffee and muffin on Hannah's desk. Yeah. Okay. She held her breath until she was alone at her cubicle. Fucking bitch, Nico thought. Who did she think she was? Nico understood, of course, that her feelings were irrational, but that did not diminish their intensity. It had been 18 hours. The need for a dose had never been stronger like streams of lava crawling down her skin. Had it not been for her work and the recording that morning, she would have gone home as quickly as possible. Her hatred hadn't yet dissipated when Hannah's chats pinged her screen. Need to talk to you ASAP. You won't believe. Busy. I can't right now. Nico typed, but it was no use. Hannah was already at her desk. Look. Hannah handed her a series of printed out tweets. M-W-T? It's the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe's Twitter account, she said, pointing at the lengthy tweets. Look, we're restarting construction tomorrow. They're saying we paid off some archaeologist from Florida to say the remains are just animal remains. Florida. This guy just signed the report. Allegedly. Nico let the printouts fall from her hand onto her desk before slipping to the floor. Seriously? All I know is that I don't know shit. And you don't either. So you're still pissed off about yesterday. Didn't we just get no, over that? No, it's just your obsession with this is getting kind of annoying. You're so quick to believe the worst of this place. Why are you even working here? I don't think this tribe is getting due process and we're responsible. I'm supposed to sit back and just let it happen? It has nothing to do with you. Well, thanks. Jesus, Hannah. For the support. I appreciate it. I'm just... You're kind of losing your shit. This is fucked up. And I don't want to just do nothing when I could do something. They stared at each other, waiting. Nico could see an exhaustion settle into Hannah's eyes. 
an expression Nico had witnessed in her friend many times before, but had never recognized for what it was. The end. Nico would not be saved. Thursday night. Nico stayed at her desk until the office cleaners arrived. She could have left after the recording, but she feared the empty hours. Home, a change of clothes, and nothing else. The corners of her apartment screamed at her. They knew where she hid her secrets. In and out in under two minutes. Somewhere inside her body, a body vibrating with need, sobriety was winning. It had been 30 hours since her last dose. There was a sliver of her fighting, and she wanted to feed it while she could. Eventually, she'd turn her back on it, but not right then. One more second in those rooms, and she'd succumb. On Thursdays, Riles was mostly bachata and cha-cha, with more and more reggaeton added as the night progressed. The crowd was different than most other places. More jewelry on the women, less skill in the men, more swagger all around. The girl collecting the cover, Louisa or Isabella, maybe something different altogether, threw a heavy sigh and sat back in her folding chair as Nico approached. She stared at Nico's cash without stirring until finally Nico added an extra 20. Louisa, or Isabella, took the money, sucking her teeth as Nico went inside. Nico supposed she deserved this. There had been a handful of newbies she'd pursued. Always someone nice with an open face and enough compassion for Nico to want to crawl inside and escape for a while. The word harassment had been flung at her more than a few times. And then there were the bathrooms she'd broken, the drug-fueled boxing matches with the lavatory doors and toilet paper holders. She'd imagined so many arguments with these gatekeepers, the many Louisas or Isabellas. My mother is dead, fucking bitch, she would yell. She'd relish her moment of superiority as Louisa or Isabella apologized. But in reality, the only thing worse than the girl's disdain would be her pity. Inside, the dancers were feeling out the space on the floor. The room was dark and the music was loud. The dancers reduced to one rushing entity, arms escaping into a shine, being recaptured by their partner's grasp. An eclipsing surge of sweat and steam and centripetal force, of not thinking, only reacting. And if she could find her way to its center, she wouldn't need anything or anyone because she'd no longer be herself just a whirl among the drums and clave. Her phone rang, Hannah. Nico ignored it. It rang again. A text came. I need to talk to you. Going to bed, talk tomorrow. I followed you, outside. Hannah was standing off to the side of the entrance. Louisa, or Isabella, was looking at her phone, but it had the telltale smirk of a person keeping an ear out for drama. I didn't want a lecture. I don't care that you lied. But Nico knew that Hannah did care. She pushed it aside. I need your help. They tucked themselves into the corner of the entrance. Every few minutes, the door would open and a cold gust would trickle up Nico's spine. Hannah was composed. She spoke slowly. She answered questions before Nico asked them. No. I know it's a big ask. We'll both lose our jobs. Shit, I mean, we'll be arrested. I've already contacted the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe. And what'd they say? I left a message. It was the calm that frightened Nico most. Hannah's resolve was set. There was no talking her out of this. 
You're being crazy. We have an opportunity to affect change. Okay. So we stand in the pit. With signs. With signs protesting Ashmere's development of the site over the tribe's objections. Yes. And the police come and haul us away for trespassing. Well, I had a couple ideas about that. Hannah reached into her bag and pulled out two pairs of handcuffs. I thought we could handcuff ourselves to some of the equipment. (laughs) Did you get these at the toy store? What? Look. You press this latch and... See? Oh, oh no. They looked at each other and both erupted in laughter. They laughed for a long time, erasing the weeks and months of tension, reverting themselves to a younger time, before, when their friendship was based in joy rather than dependence, a moment of the shared history Nico had forgotten. They laughed for so long that Louisa, or Isabella, got up from her chair and fixed them with an annoyed grimace. Hannah, this is insane. We'll use plastic ties instead. Hannah. I'll call the globe. It'll shine a light, at least. I love you. It surprised her to say it, and it surprised Hannah to hear it. She meant it, of course. Her love for her friend like a swaddle, keeping her whole. It was as if her mother's love had been a large revolving cube in her chest and a small corner had chipped off before Nico buried the cube along with her mother's frail, failed body. I mean it. And she did. It was all she could say. Thank you. Okay, so 5 a.m.? You're insane. Please. Fine. You know what? I didn't like the job anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Ah! I'm so excited. Hannah hugged her. Nico closed her eyes and this time didn't pull away. We're doing this. We're doing this. I'll see you there. Hannah pulled away. As she opened the door, the cool air crept up Nico's spine. Her body shivered dramatically, a sight that would have made Hannah laugh if her attention were not already elsewhere, already in the pit. Oh, thank you! The door slammed behind her. Inside the club, a thick rind of women waiting for partners formed around the dance floor. The air was dense with sweat mixed with a sharp draft from an open window. Nico shuddered in the clammy heat. A few men asked her to dance, but the music felt far away. Her stomach clenched. Need spiraled into a tight ball. She stumbled through the songs. Her next dose called to her like an earthquake. She had made it 32 hours, but she could not make it anymore. It was time to go. She felt a tap on the shoulder as the opening bars of a slow bachata rang out. One more dance, she told herself. She took his hand. His hands gripped her hips too much. They snaked up her back, pressing her chest into him. He was clean-shaven with thick-rimmed glasses that drew attention to his teeth, which he flashed too often. His hair was stylishly unkept. She guessed if she were to put her hands through it, her palms would come back greasy as fuck. He said his name was Rick. She shrugged her shoulders. No hablo inglés. Hablo un poco. He said, and turned her so her back was to him. When the dance was done, he kept her hand. Umas? And she nodded without smiling. He pressed against her thigh as he dipped her. Barking up the wrong tree, she thought sadly. It had been her mother's favorite English expression. Barking at the wrong tree, she yelled at the TV when a contestant forgot to phrase his answer in the form of a question. She would laugh and close her eyes. 
She used the expression too frequently and always incorrectly, but Nico had never corrected her, almost like a magic trick she didn't want to ruin by explaining how it worked. She held his hand as she walked toward the door. What the hell, Nico thought. Desire is desire. They diverted to the bathroom. He spoke to himself as he slid his hands under her panties. Holy shit. This is awesome. His hands swirled around her. They grabbed at her flesh, squeezed, infiltrated. She was far away, tucked inside the eye of a tornado, sacrificing her body to the winds. Estás bien? Sí, claro. And she grabbed inside his jeans and watched his face recede in surprise and then bloom into desire. He smiled. She stepped away. ¿Qué es problema? Sí, todo está bien. I just think it's time for me to stop doing things I don't want to do. What the fuck? He said. His eyes studied her through tight holes. Nico felt herself start to smile, the first genuine smile she'd had in a long time. He zipped up his jeans. Crazy bitch. He let the stall door bounce in its frame. <laughs> Adios. 2 a.m., Friday now. Nico raced down the streets of Central Square, still dotted with couples snatching falafel and homeless men asleep on benches for the quiet streets of Cambridgeport, adorned with newly renovated condos sporting vinyl siding made to look like wood shingles. Every few blocks, she'd stumble through an old iron fence flossed with leaves to the playground it was protecting. Her body trembled, her brain on fire with detox. When she felt she was about to ignite, Nico folded herself onto a swing and rattled the chains until the tremor passed. 38 hours sober. She kept walking until she hit the Charles. A few benches dotted the strip of nature between the road and the river but Nico sat on the grass. The still gray water stirred the light from the streetlights and the Prudential Center that flanked the shore on the Boston side. In a few hours, the crew teams would be out, chopping up the water, timing their laps from one bridge to the other. Had they ever witnessed, Nico wondered, a person up on one of these bridges, staring out across the water, wondering if the bridge was tall enough? Her phone buzzed. See you soon. Nico put her phone away. She had forgotten about Hannah, but now remembered the heat of their embrace, her friend's face with its promises of love. How funny, she thought, to create your own shell of pity and importance and to live in it all the while trying to escape it. It was as if a fresh breeze blew through her brain, sieving away the grime revealing the clarity she once had when she was younger, back when she was unburdened by the responsibilities of a real life, when she thought about the future and only thought of all the ways she'd succeed in it. She had had no clue that life could heap so much shit on her shoulders. How thankful she was for that younger self's naivete, that clear-headed hope. How strange, she thought, watching them. The picture before had begun to fade at the edges, but the glint of light off their wet scales was unmistakable. One followed close by another, and another. They formed an oily stream, their backs rainbow-flecked by the city lights. The snakes came up from the river, weaving first through the reeds and then the grass. 
When they reached her, Nico tried to tuck her legs in close, but she could not move them. They struck out in front of her like toppled branches waiting to be reclaimed. The snakes weaved themselves over her, creating wet, slithering, glittering hills. Dozens were now flowing up from the river. Starving, that's what they were. Desperate, starving animals. I should scream, she thought. I should be terrified. But what she felt was nothing. Nothing at all. The office was abuzz the next morning. As she made her way to her desk, her co-workers looked at her ravenously. Each wanted to be the one to share the news and retell her reaction. They were friends, they would say. Did she know? Nico kept her earbuds in. Hannah, it seemed, had succeeded in two ways. First, her calls to the Globe had worked. There was a crew who had caught the whole thing on camera. Second, she'd somehow managed to find real handcuffs. Nico hadn't turned her phone back on since being prodded with an oar by a rower out for his morning exercise. You aight? He'd shouted once she had pulled herself to a seat. She flashed him a thumbs up, and he went on his way, never looking back. At 10.30, a company-wide email. While many of you have already seen the news, we wanted to address the incident that occurred this morning. An Ashmere employee trespassed on a development site and was removed for the safety of that employee, as well as the safety of the crew standing by. The employee did not act with endorsement or prior knowledge of Ashmere management, and we do not condone her actions. She is currently being questioned by Somerville Police, and we will assist them in helping her receive medical or psychiatric treatment if necessary. Please forward any questions you have to your relevant manager, and we will update you if updates are warranted. Thank you. Nico's leg jumped. She could feel pressure pushing against her eyes. She picked up her phone and put it back down. Instead, she opened the Globe's website. She had to scroll down to find the headline, Protester Arrested on Employer's Construction Site. Alongside the text, which Nico ignored, were two photos. In the first one, Hannah stood between a fence and a storage pod set up next to a digger. Her foot was handcuffed to the fence, and her opposite hand was handcuffed to the storage pod. In her free hand, she held her phone. Recording, Nico assumed. Her face was red but persistent, aware of her failure, yet unafraid. Her deep-set hazel eyes were pulled into spikes at the edges by thick black eyeliner. In the second picture, Hannah's hands were behind her, presumably so the policeman at her back could handcuff them together. She was leaning away from the camera. Her eyes were shut. It was morning and the sun glinted off her damp cheeks. Nico did her best to ignore the text of the article, but one sentence given its own line, stood out. Representatives of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe were not present at the protest and could not be reached for comment. Further down, there was a video. Nico closed the browser. Her mind rested on what she had been trying to avoid. She tried to think of something, anything else. Hannah looking at her phone, resolute on dialing yet again, but stopping herself. The moment of truth settled inside her, like slow-setting concrete poured so long ago. Nico was not coming. How long had Hannah held out hope? Was it still with her as the sun rose? What shade was the sky when she realized her misplaced faith? Nico put her hands beneath her knees. Cuarenta y cuatro horas, mamá. Almost two days. 
On her computer, a new browser had popped up, the Ashmere homepage. An experiment to increase productivity, no doubt. Likely the brainchild of some low-level HR associate trying to justify her job. One of the million things Nico hated about this fucking place. The A in Ashmere was designed to look like a ladder, and just below, a video with a girl resembling Nico smiled back at her. In the still, the girl's eyes shone with delight. Her head was tilted delicately to the side. In the video, Nico looked rested, pretty, a professional. A woman someone could count on. The next few days pass slowly. Nico changes her phone number. She sleeps in her car. She avoids all news about Hannah. But a splinter has lodged itself somewhere in her lung. At first, she can barely stand the pain. But over time, she learns to breathe carefully to avoid its vicious stab. Over the next four months, she relapses twice. But eventually, she finds a way to live with the sharp memories. Every so often, she breathes deeply and finds the splinter still there. But the pain is duller than before. She could say that she simply overslept, and Nico has thought about using this excuse. A forgivable mistake. But the truth is the rower had stuck her with his oar at 4.17 a.m., plenty of time to meet Hannah. Nico wouldn't have even had to rush. She carries around the temptation to blow up her life like a low-grade fever. She puts Hannah's number in her new phone. She could atone, forgive herself, grieve. But over time, that need, too, dulls although never entirely vanishes. She doesn't see Hannah. Sometimes Nico fantasizes about Hannah finding her. Maybe Nico will see her during some of Hannah's court-ordered community service hours, picking up trash along Mystic Valley Parkway. A few times, she sits at the lunch counter at Tanoke, daring fate to deliver what Nico lacks in courage to produce. Nico imagines Hannah entering. She stands, slowly, dramatically, her skin is dewy with justice. Nico scrambles out the door, her body caved with shame. Only a quick glance back to see Hannah's triumphant pose. At some point, Nico adds a trip to her getaway, falling into a mud puddle and tearing up her knees. Oddly, when Nico waits in Tanok, she thinks about her mother. It is possible, after so much time, to remember her mother's life separately from her death. Nico sees her sitting up in bed after the first chemotherapy appointment, before the vomiting started. Her mother's brown hair a little deflated but still curly, a smile on her face, as if to say how glad, how grateful she was to be there, and how alert and ready she was to respond to the demands of this life. Confident always, she would figure out what they were. Thoughts of her mother always lead her back to Hannah. Nico could find Hannah, of course. She could give Hannah a chance to rip out the treacherous spike from her lungs. Perhaps they could find a way to work toward salvation. But over time, it becomes easier to keep one foot in front of the other, to hold out against the temptation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Republic of Camberville. Be sure to join us next week for the season finale and two very special announcements. 
This story, titled Massacre, was written by me, Danielle Monroe, and features the voice talents of Tamar Avishai, Lenoy Alexander, Michael Cole, and Elise Roth as Hannah. You can catch Elise as her alter ego, Ginger Lamar, in the 1940s immersive show Club Drosselmeyer, a retelling of The Nutcracker with jazz and swing music at the Art Oberon from December 8th through the 13th. And a special thanks to our narrator this week, Tamar Avishai. You can hear more from Tamar on her podcast, The Lonely Palette, the podcast that returns art history to the masses, one painting at a time. And while I can't say for certain, I'm pretty sure The Lonely Palette has never allowed Tamar to fully express herself. Her palms would come back greasy as fuck. Fucking bitch. You all right? Is that okay? Special thanks to Darren Vermas for his audio artistry and to Lenoy Alexander, Tina Abramson, Lily Kuti Matthew, and KV Alexander for their support. I'll see you next week where, again, I have two very special announcements I'm dying to tell you about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>